0: Hey, I'm Jesse, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter five. Paul has just gone on to teach about our bodies like they're just tents, a temporary dwelling place, and you're headed home. And we know we're headed home when we have the Holy Spirit of God, because that is a down payment, as Paul would write elsewhere, elsewhere, guaranteeing what we inherit when we go to heaven. This sets the context for chapter five, verse six of 2 Corinthians. So we are always confident and we know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, we are, uh, whether we are at home or away, we make it, our claim, uh, make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There was this place in the Agora of the ancient Greek world uh, called the Bema seat, and it's where judgments were administered. This is the namesake for the kind of judgment that Christians face, where we go before our Savior and we hear that we are atoned for in all of our sins. Every last one of our sins has been paid for in full by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. But this does not mean that we lead lives of flagrant rebellion against God. Rather, as Paul says here, we make it our aim to be pleasing to Him. As he would write in the book of Ephesians, we try to lead lives that are worthy of our calling. Like Peter would write, bear fruit that is consistent with repentance. You don't try to do good things so you can curry favor with God. Rather, you try to lead a life that pleases God because every last one of your sins is atoned for by Christ on the cross. You don't earn more Jesus points. You're just trying to lead a life that is worthy of such a calling. You're bearing fruit naturally that is consistent with repentance. Because you have this down payment of the Holy Spirit of God in your life, you're gonna bear fruit. These don't elevate your standing with Christ, rather they indicate it. You are not saved because you do good things. You just do good things because you've been saved. You make it the aim of your life to be pleasing to God. And we're confident, we're confident that when we're away from this body, this tent, this temporary dwelling, we're with the Lord. So in the meantime, while we're in this tent, we want to please God. But there's going to come a day where we move out of the tent and into our permanent home, the heavenly city described in Revelation 21. And it's better by far. We're coming up on the end of paul's ministry when we get to second corinthians and first and second timothy especially second timothy we're coming to the end of paul's life and he starts to kind of shift his tone in the book of philippians he's chained up and talking about an inexpressible and glorious joy when we get to second timothy he's like look i've I'm, I'm ready to get out of here <laughs> all right we're coming to the point in his ministry he's like look i've fought the good fight i've run the good race i've got a reward waiting on me i'm ready to get out of here but you stinkers are the ones that are keeping me here. And it's better for you if I'm here with you. All right, so I'm gonna stay here with you and keep on doing ministry, but I'm longing to be with Christ. He says, you can see a glimpse of that in chapter five. It is better, we would prefer, he says in verse eight, to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. My friend, Phil, who is um, a doctor at Vanderbilt Hospital in downtown Nashville, he and I would get uh, like hot chicken at the restaurants in Nashville when I worked there, and uh, we both saw the same thing. He would see a difference between the way that Christian families would handle trauma, and I would see a difference in the way that Christian families would handle grief. You know, only a minister would get this inside glimpse into how people grieve at their funerals. It would be unethical to try to make that your, your, you know, thesis, to go like, take people's temperatures and say, like, rate your grief on a scale from one to ten. (laughs) As you're going around to people's funerals, they're just like crying over someone that died. And you're like, I don't know how to answer. Like, what kind of creep would take on an anthropological study of, like, gauge your grief at this funeral? How much did you really love Frank? (laughs) You're like, how sad are you? You Only ministers would ever get the chance to actually observe this. And I can tell you firsthand, I've done funerals for families who just kind of knew me as the token Christian in their lives. And I'm doing a funeral for someone that I don't know where they stand with God. They didn't bear any fruit consistent with repentance. They didn't lead lives aiming to please God, but I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then I've done a lot of funerals mostly for Christians who did profess Christ over the course of their lives. And there is a marked difference between those contexts. Okay, I don't, they teach us in seminary, look, you can't preach them into hell or out of hell. You can't preach them into heaven or out of heaven. Like, you don't know where they stand with God. In fact, it's a common atheistic argument. I can't believe the gospel because it seems unfair that a murderer with his last breath would confess faith in Christ. What's so funny about that as a brief side note, Christian, is that when they say that, they articulate the gospel. Like, yes, it's totally possible. You don't know if the ISIS executioner confessed Christ with his dying breath. You don't know that, it could be. And so when you see these funerals where we don't know, man, they don't have a whole lot of hope. They grieve as people who don't have a lot of hope. But when I do Christian funerals, there's hope there. There is just hope at a Christian funeral, equally devastated by the loss of the loved one. But there's an element of hope that pervades across the whole Christian funeral that I don't see at non-Christian funerals and only a minister who does a lot of funerals in both contexts would see that. It is better by far to be away from the body. The permanent home is way nicer than the tent. Some of you are glamping. You got nice tents, but guess what? Nothing, nothing at all compared to the permanent home that Christ has secured for us with the down payment of our Holy Spirit. Now, We know that we know that we know that we are his because we have this Holy Spirit of God. And we know that when we stand in judgment before him, we will be forgiven for every last one of our sins for all time, forevermore. But we also receive blessings from God for the good things that we've done. There are numerous promises for crowns of glory, crowns of life, for those who have endured difficulty, for those who have borne fruit. We will be repaid for what we have done in the body, whether good or evil, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. This was the basis for, in our series Reason for Hope, why we practice apologetics. Because we're Christians, we got the Holy Spirit. We're going to stand in judgment before our savior. But there are some people who are going to stand in judgment before their righteous judge who will rightly condemn them for the same sin that we had in our hearts. So that's why we try to persuade people. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. It's often taught at funerals, and I think that sometimes it's too late. I think it better be taught now.